Once again, we welcome you to Alger Assembly of God. We welcome you back to our study. It's our series entitled Promise. We're taking a look at promises from the Old Testament fulfilled in the life and birth of Jesus Christ in the new. So first of all, we saw that we needed to believe God's promises. Many of them, hundreds of them, hundreds of years in advance fulfilled in Jesus. We can believe God's promises. Last week, we saw that we can understand his power. He has what you and I need to do the impossible. Today, I want to challenge and encourage you to receive God's provision. No doubt there are, there are situations we can be a needy people. We can be facing a lot of difficulties, facing a lot of situations and challenges and struggles, and we need God's provision. I want to encourage you this day to be able to receive it. But first of all, Certainly is uh, right in front of us, we have got the nativity scene and, and thankful for that. Some of you might have a nativity scene at your home. Uh, one particular pastor was driving through a small southern town and he noticed a nativity display outside and it showed some incredible skill and some amazing creativity and, and he paused as he was driving through town and he just wondered in amazement. But one small feature in this nativity scene kind of bothered him. As a pastor, he, he wanted things to be as, as biblically accurate as he could. And he looked and he saw that all three wise men were wearing firemen's helmets. Unable to come up with the explanation, he kept driving through town. He stopped at the gas station on the edge of town and, and he asked the woman behind the counter about the helmets. Well, she didn't take too kindly to his questioning. He, she exploded on him in a rage and said, Well, you Yankees never do read your Bible. He assured her that he did. He didn't mention that he was a pastor, but he assured her he did read the Bible. He just couldn't recall that there were firefighters or helmets in the Bible. So, she reaches behind the counter, she pulls out her Bible, ruffles through some pages, and jabs her finger at a passage from Scripture. Sticking her finger in the Bible and the Bible up to his face, she said, See, it says right here, the three wise men came from afar. <laughs> came from afar. So speaking of the Word of God, we encourage you to turn there. It's Matthew's gospel, Luke's gospel. We find the Christmas story. And in Matthew's gospel, chapter 1, we see the genealogy of Jesus and his birth. He's uh, traced all the way back in Scripture. Chapter 2, we read about the wise men and Herod and uh, the trip to Egypt and back to Nazareth. Chapter 3, it's John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus Christ. And in Matthew chapter 4, it's the temptation of Jesus as he was led into the wilderness. But right about the middle of Matthew chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, Matthew quotes from the book of Isaiah. Now, all throughout uh, Matthew, in many different cases we've seen already, he'll say something to the effect of, and thus was spoken to fulfill the Scripture. He emphasizes that what's taken place in the birth or in the life of Jesus Christ fulfills Scripture. 
And so he mentions in verse 15 and 16, it's a direct quote from Isaiah. So whether you're in Matthew 4, verse 15 and 16, or you can turn back to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, here is how it reads in Isaiah. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So Matthew quotes from this, and then he continues to speak about and reference it and point it to Jesus Christ. So though this is not actually from the Christmas story, it's certainly shortly after in Matthew's gospel, we're going to spend a little bit of time on Isaiah chapter 9. So if you're there, stay there. If you're not, I invite you to turn back, Isaiah chapter 9. But he's saying there is this light, Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Jesus himself, I am the light of the world. He mentions about that. But Isaiah chapter 9 will drop down a few verses to a rather familiar one, one that you've heard, one that you've read, but it is a prophecy of Isaiah about 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. Let's take a look. Isaiah chapter 9 just a few verses after what Matthew quoted, we read this in verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We're going to park here for the remainder of our time. We're going to examine the scripture and examine these titles of the Messiah. Hundreds of years before he was born, Isaiah prophesies. He prophesied about the light. That would be Jesus, the Messiah. And here he prophesies a child would be born, a son would be given, and this is who he is. His name shall be. So today, again, I encourage you to receive God's provision. You've come in need of a touch of healing. You've come in need of some encouragement, some wisdom, some guidance, some direction. You need something from him today. You can receive his provision. How do we do that? First of all, I believe we need to listen to his direction. Listen to his direction it says that his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, in Bible times, you didn't pull out a smartphone and Google something that you needed information for. How many of you find yourself doing that, perhaps? Now, just a number of years ago, we didn't have all of the smartphones. Maybe you had to go to a, a newspaper. I remember as a kid... Back in the, I remember it, in the 80s. How many of you had a copy of encyclopedias in your home? We, we had one of those. I'm sure there was probably a salesman traveling through. or I'm not, not sure how they bought it, but we had some bookshelves, and we had the, uh, whatever the encyclopedia was. And every so often, sometimes for a school assignment, I would go and I'd pull one of those out, and I'd begin, and I'd kind of look through and, and find some information. 
And as we continue to go, there's newspapers, and then there's the internet, and, and then now with smartphones, you simply pull out a phone, tap on the Google app. You can even talk to it if you'd like. You start tapping out with your thumbs or your fingers. You start tapping out some kind of question. It'll automatically predict what you're trying to ask about based on what everybody else has asked about. Tap on it, and the information is at your fingertips. No Google here in the Word of God. No Google in Matthew or Luke's gospel where Jesus was born. No Google when it comes to Isaiah and his prophecy. They would often have, kings would often have a team of leaders or advisors or counselors, these wise and skilled and, and learned individuals to help them and guide them. Here's what Isaiah is saying. This Messiah, this one who is to come, he doesn't need a team of advisors. He doesn't need a, a team of counselors. He is the wonderful counselor. He knows. He knows exactly what is needed. He knows exactly what to do. I want you to pause, and, and just in your mind, in your heart, I want you to think about what would be some descriptions, what would be some elements or characteristics or skill sets of an incredible advisor or counselor? Maybe you've talked to somebody about some different things, or maybe you wish that you could. What would be something that you would look for? I would venture to say you would want your counselor to be available. You'd like to get a hold of them, right? I mean, if you're trying to get a hold, how many of you try to get a hold of customer service? You're laughing. Aren't they just readily available? I mean, 24 hours a day, somebody's waiting for your call to complain. No, you got to see what days are they open, what hours are they open, and where are they located? Is it Eastern Standard Time or Pacific Standard Time? Is it, you know, is it California time? It's 10 o'clock here, but it's only 7 o'clock there. You want someone who is available. If you've got a problem, you've got a concern, you need some help, you need some wisdom, you need some guidance, you want someone who's available. Guess what? The wonderful counselor is available Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 28, he said, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He is there. He is available. Maybe you have felt abandoned or neglected or like there's no one around. He is the one you can turn to. He's the wonderful counselor. He's available. You would want your counselor to have some empathy you would want someone to be able to hopefully understand and know a little bit about what you're going through. That would be key, right? As you talk and you, you pour your heart out to somebody, you want there to be empathy on the other end. We talked about this a little bit on Wednesday nights, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. We do not have a high priest unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. He understands the hurt, the pain, the temptation. He knows what you're going through. You're not going to turn to him and he's going to be like, oh, I have no idea what to do, what to help you with. He knows. He understands. He cares. He's been betrayed. He's been wrongly accused. He's been gossiped about, in pain, lonely. He's experienced Loss. There is 
empathy as the wonderful counselor. As a wonderful counselor, you would want someone who's attentive and ready to pay attention and listen to you. Not keep turning side to side and and not having an interest in what you want to say. You want them to be ready to listen. You would want your counselor to have some unconditional love. Because how many of you know we kind of mess up? Jesus, as the wonderful counselor, loves you and me in spite of what we've gone through. As the wonderful counselor, he is also confidential. What you share as you pour your heart out to him... It doesn't get spread like gossip. I'm sure we've all experienced that sometime in our life. You confide in somebody and all of a sudden everybody knows your business. Jesus, the wonderful counselor, is confidential. He's truthful. He'll let you know the truth, what you and I need. He doesn't sugarcoat things. So Sometimes it's not always what we want to hear. Right? If you've confided in a counselor or you've you've asked somebody for some help, whether it's a friend or a family member, sometimes they tell you something you don't want to hear. And you you get a little, what? But it's what you need. It's what you need to hear. The truth sometimes is hard. Jesus, as the wonderful counselor, is truthful. He is compassionate. He is experienced. You want that for a counselor, right? I think it's the uh, farmer's insurance commercial is what made me think of. The farmer's insurance commercial says something to this effect. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. Well, Jesus, as the wonderful counselor, he doesn't just know a thing or two. He hasn't just seen a thing or two. He knows it. He's seen it. So what you and I face as we come and we talk and we share... He's experienced to know how to lead and to guide us. He's the wonderful counselor. We are to listen to his direction. In fact, in the New Testament, when Jesus was transfigured, Mark chapter 9, verse 7, he was there along with several of the disciples. It says, a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. As if we needed one more encouragement, God himself is putting his seal, his stamp of approval. He's saying, here he is. Listen to what he has to say. As the wonderful counselor, it's not somebody that's like, well, let me go see him. Let me go talk to two, three, four, five other people. And then let me just follow the one that I like the best. Because, you know, that's what you and I do sometimes. You go talk to a friend. And you explain your situation, and they tell you something, and it's not what you want to hear. So you go to another friend, and another friend, and another friend, until you find someone who agrees with you and tells you what you want to hear, and then you follow that. We've all done that at some point. We don't need to turn to anybody else. As the wonderful counselor, we are to listen to him. Sometimes it can be a challenge tuning in and hearing and zeroing in on his voice. I came across this story that I thought illustrated that. This was about a young man who had lost his job. He was in a desperate situation. 
he went to see an old preacher that he knew. As he poured his heart out to the preacher, he angrily declared to him, I've begged and I've begged God to say something to help me, preacher. Why doesn't God answer? Now, maybe it's not that you've lost a job, but maybe you're in a similar situation. Or maybe at one point in time, that's described you. I pray and I pray. Why can't God hear me? Why doesn't he answer? The old preacher sitting across the room in his chair spoke a reply so quiet, the young man was unable to make it out. So he moved across the room a little closer and he, he asked, what did you say, preacher? The preacher repeated himself again in a rather soft tone. So the young man moved closer and closer and closer until his forehead was almost up to his forehead. He is right there at the edge of his chair. He said, I'm sorry, preacher, I still didn't hear you. And with their heads nearly touching, the old preacher spoke once more. Sometimes God whispers, so we will move closer to hear him. I like that. Maybe you've experienced some of the same thing. Boy, it just seems like I pray and I pray and nothing happens. I feel like our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. It feels like there's no response. Maybe we need to get a little closer to him, to hear him. Maybe to get a little closer by time in his word. Maybe to get a little closer by time and prayer. Maybe to get a little closer by honoring and worshiping. Here's the, the powerful thing. He is the wonderful counselor. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, Isaiah said, his name shall be called. That's who he is. As the wonderful counselor, you and I are to listen to his direction. It's going to be some incredible provision. Need God's provision? Don't just listen to his direction. You and I can walk in his strength. Isaiah says his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Secondly, he says his name shall be called Mighty God. One commentator puts it like this. As the Wonderful Counselor, he makes the plan. As the Mighty God, he makes the plan work. He's got the power to do what needs to be done. Now, it's interesting in this verse, Isaiah says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And it's represented even in the nativity scene. We think an awful lot about baby Jesus, right? The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. And, and yes, he came to earth as a child. He came to earth as a baby. But this baby, this child, this son that was to be born, later in the verse he says he's mighty God. Don't lose track of that. Don't just view him as the little baby in the manger who doesn't seem to have the strength or the might or the power that you need in your situation. He does. Now, we don't. It's not walk in my strength. I don't have it. I've got some strength. I've got less and less the older I get. Ten years ago, 
Felt a little different physically. 20 years ago, felt a little different physically. 30 years ago, high school years, felt a little different physically. The older I get, I, I feel it in my lower back, some of those herniated discs. I don't always have exactly what's needed in the strength, but he does. He's the mighty God. We can walk in his strength. Scripture talks about the fact he knows it all. We, we put a term on that. We call him omniscient, all-knowing. God knows all that you're going through. Omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. Omnipotent. He is all-powerful. There's nothing that is too difficult for him. It's, it's difficult for us. It's challenging for us, but he's got the power to heal. Look throughout Scripture. Yes, he came as a baby, but he lived and grew and taught and did miracles. Opened blinded eyes. Healed the lame who couldn't walk. Raised the dead. You want to talk about power. He's got power over sickness and disease. He's got power over Satan and death and the grave. He's got power over everyday situations and circumstances that you and I face. Jeremiah, another prophet, puts it this way. He says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. We can walk in his strength. This Christmas season, this end of the year, whenever it is that you're listening or watching this, you might need some strength because you don't seem to know where to turn. You can walk in his strength. You've got some challenges. You've got some situations that you're facing, and you don't know how you're going to do it. In your own strength, probably can't. But with his strength, you can. Jeremiah said, nothing is too hard for you. Remember the words. The angel spoke to Mary in Luke chapter 137. Nothing is impossible with God. No matter how challenging things are, no matter how difficult things seem, nothing is impossible. Nothing is too difficult for him. He's the mighty God. He has strength that you need. He can give you help with whatever you are facing today. You want to receive his provision? I tell you what, listen to his direction. Walk in his strength. Thirdly, wait in his care. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Thirdly, the Everlasting Father. Now, understand, Isaiah is not confusing the coming Messiah, Jesus, with the first person of the Trinity where we refer to him as God the Father. He's not saying that the Son is the Father. Well, one commentator puts it this way. It's a descriptive analogy that points to the character of Jesus Christ. Father-like in his actions. Everlasting Father. A title, a description. And it's interesting, again, 700 years in advance, Isaiah is speaking of this baby to be born, not only as the mighty God, but as an everlasting father. Now, participation time. I want you to raise your hand if you 
have ever had a father? Some of you are a little confused. Okay, hands hand slowly going up. Uh, if you can't see, hands slowly going up all across the sanctuary. You have had a father. Maybe you knew him really well. Maybe you didn't know him well. Maybe you knew him not at all. Maybe your view of your father is a little different from someone else's view. Me personally, I am thankful for my father. I had an incredible man of God. He's a pastor, passed away over 20 years ago. But I had a great father. And I look back at, at times we spent together, ice cream we ate together, ball that we threw together. I had great, great memories of a father. Maybe you're not able to share in some of those exact memories as I had. I don't know what kind of a relationship you might have had with your father, but here's what we often see. We often tend to kind of take our view of our earthly father, and we kind of view the heavenly father through that lens. So if you had a great earthly father, when we start talking about him as a heavenly father, we say, oh, yeah, just like my dad, kind and loving. But if your fatherly influence or example wasn't so positive and we start talking about the heavenly father or in this case the description of an everlasting father you say whoa I don't know about that see when some people think about a father they see someone who is never satisfied or loving or proud maybe you never heard those words of I love you or I'm proud of you you coveted acceptance and affirmation, but it never seemed to be there. And if so, maybe you see the heavenly father or the eternal father as someone who's not satisfied. And so you try to earn his love. We can't earn. He gives it. Maybe some people see a father who was always angry. That's the example that you might have had growing up. Maybe your home felt like you were walking on eggshells. Because at any moment, the father could fly off the handle or yell or be full of anger. And, and the words or things that would come out of the mouth would be so challenging. And if that's your view of a father, then you might see the heavenly father, you might see Jesus as the everlasting father, as angry, and so you fear or avoid, or maybe I just need to try to calm him down. Some maybe see a father who really wasn't there. Whether the result of divorce or leaving or just not being around, that father figure was not in your life. If that's your view of an earthly father, your view of the heavenly father, or Jesus being called the everlasting father, maybe you question his existence. Understand this. He is the everlasting father. Psalm 103 says that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. No matter what kind of an example you might have had as a earthly father, the heavenly father, and Jesus Christ being called the everlasting father is that perfect example. He's compassionate. He's present. You can't earn or deserve his love. He simply gives it. He cares for you. 
First Peter chapter 5, verse 7, cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. He won't attack or abuse, but has wonderful plans for your good. He loves and cares and is concerned about you. Want to receive the provision of God? Let's wait in his care. Finally, as we take a look at that last title, it says, his name shall be called Prince of Peace. So we can rest in his rest. Humor me, if you would, and just everybody take a deep breath in. Now a deep breath out. You ever done that? You ever, you ever been in one of those just crazy, wild days, and you've just been, maybe it's a day, maybe it's a week, it's a month, and you get home, you've been stressed out, you've done this and this and gone here and there, and you get home and you just take this deep breath in, this deep breath out, and you just go, <sighs> this, this feeling of rest. We can rest in his rest. He's the prince of peace. It could be translated, the prince who's coming brings peace. We hear about that in Luke's gospel, chapter 2.14. He says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill to men. The angels speaking to the shepherds. We can rest in him. He offers peace from our past. Because we all have a past. Take a look. Luke chapter 7 tells about the story of a woman with a past. Everybody else knew the past. And as they were at dinner, she made her way. She took a jar, an alabaster jar of perfume, poured it over Jesus' feet, used her hair to wipe. Simon, who had invited Jesus, was upset at how close this sinful woman was. Don't you know what she's done is basically what's being implied. Jesus had a little different attitude towards her. And in verse 48, Jesus said, go, your sins are forgiven. And in the following verse said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He's able to provide peace from our past. No matter what you've done or what I've done, as we come to him, we ask him to cleanse and to forgive. He does peace from our past. He gives peace in all the circumstances that we face. Philippians chapter 4, Paul's in prison facing possible execution. And in that jail cell, he's writing the book of Philippians and my favorite verses of Scripture is chapter 4, verse 7. He says, And may the peace of God that transcends or passes all understanding keep and guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Peace in the middle of whatever circumstance you face. Peace in our tragedies. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, before he goes to the cross, he had the Last Supper, and, and we illustrate and remember that in our taking of communion. The disciples knew that something was up, and Jesus, in his words to the disciples, John 14, he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give, not as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. 
He's preparing the closest followers for what would be imminent grief. He'd be arrested, tried in court, beaten, crucified, preparing them now for what was to come. Familiar verse we've quoted off and on the last several months, John 16, 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Take heart, he says. I've overcome the world. Peace even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of tragedy. No matter what might be going through your heart or life or family, this day, this week, this month, this year, you can rest in his rest. On our own, life is a challenge. Life can be confusing. Life can be topsy-turvy. But we can rest in his rest as the prince of peace. Need provision? There are some incredible resources found in Jesus, the Messiah. He's the wonderful counselor, so listen to his direction. He's the mighty God. You and I can walk in his strength. He's the everlasting father, so we can wait in his care. And he's the prince of peace. Rest in his rest. The beginning of that verse will end where we started. Isaiah 9, 6. First three words, he says, for unto us a child is born. And then he repeats it, unto us a son is given. That's a personal gift. And we've talked about and, and we enjoy the gifts unto us. The gift is unto you. The gift is unto me. The question is, will you and I receive it? A gift requires a response. When someone wraps something in a box and presents it to you, it's a gift, but it's not really received until you take it, you receive it, you open it and see what's inside. Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. The gift is for you. The gift is for me. I encourage you to receive God's gift. I encourage you to receive God's provision.